Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equations. Hello and welcome to Onical Sequel. My name is Dave and I'm one of the two hosts of this shallow podcast. Shallow? Rude. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this shallow podcast. Think of me as Alfred to Dave's Batman. He's out crime fighting every night and I'm really good at making his dinner. It's true, you are. Uh, the premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, their worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And, of course, we'll quite often drift off and talk about other things, like movies in general, or sometimes just life. And sometimes we do like to drop big, fat spoilers for some movies you maybe haven't seen yet. So if we mention one of those films and you don't want it ruined, how about you just skip that bit, go and make yourself a cocktail, non-alcoholic, alcoholic, whatever you want, Come back and then it'll all be over. Because on today's episode, we are joined by Al Horner. Al is a brilliant freelance journalist who you will also hopefully know as the presenter of the Perfect Script Apart podcast. He has some brilliant guests on there. He also is the editor of the Script Apart magazine as well. So go and check that out too. We are very excited to sit down with Al and chat all things sequels with him. These are Al Horner's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy! Can you think of the first sequel you got excited about? I can, yeah. Again, I'm pretty sure that this will be this will have crossover. Someone else will have also thought about this. That's fine. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Aladdin, Return of Jafar. <laughs> pretty certain that'll have been. It's it has come up. Yeah. It's been it reasonably popular, yeah. I think maybe that's our age demographic. I feel like it might be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that a positive reaction, like to Yeah, it kind of is. Hold good memories. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like my guy Iago, who I seem to remember being kind of inexplicably the 
kind of the lead of that film i guess maybe he was one of the only like i mean again it's been a good while but maybe he was one of the only voice talent who kind of came back because obviously uh robin williams didn't yeah i have good um i have certainly good memories of it insofar as like i was just obsessed with aladdin and then when aladdin when there was more aladdin i was like <laughs> sequels you say as a concept awesome <laughs> yeah. let's do that i like that thing just hook it into my veins for more let's go was it i think return of jafar was straight to video wasn't it i think it was yeah well that's yeah i I definitely had it only on video and uh, i feel like i would have some sort of memory of going to the aldershot multiplex i can't remember what it was called and uh, i would have experienced it you know while navigating the incredibly sticky floors of that cinema that i kind of went to when i was growing up so yeah it definitely must have it must have been only video i think do you have any memories of watching it for the first time or is it completely blank? I have memories not of the like the actual kind of story or any, you know, plot, anything like that. But what I definitely can remember, uh, <laughs> there, there are kind of sensory memories attached to it, like me trying to get as physically close to my TV screen as possible, like borderline <laughs> my nose touching the screen just to kind of like soak up as much Aladdin as possible, you know, as as an owl. You know, I'm, I'm looking out for other owls who I can relate to as a child. Brilliant. There weren't very many. There was like Alan Shearer, I suppose, who was the closest like Al in the in the cultural zeitgeist. So um, I, I felt like quite a good degree of kinship towards Aladdin. And I wanted, uh, I just remember being sat on the floor on my carpet, just inching closer and closer and closer in a sort of like cross-legged fashion until I was based, my mum was like, no one else can see the screen out. <laughs> yeah, so the, I, that's about all I can remember of the return of Jafar, in which Jafar did indeed return. My little boy does exactly the same thing. <laughs> He's like, and when he, you can tell when he likes a movie because he excitedly kind of jumps a little bit closer to the screen. Yeah. So he's like right in front of it, and you're like, George. You make a great door, but a rubbish window. <laughs> like, like, that is such a classic dad joke. As well. It's such a yeah. It's such a my my dad used to say it to me. So yeah, just uh, use it for my kid. <laughs> You're massive. You must have. I wasn't taken... massive when I was a little kid. Oh, I bet you were like six foot two when you were like eight. No, no, no. About fifteen, I think I shot up. Okay. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my shot up. Um, was that was Return of Jafar before the period you knew movies could get rubbish? Um, yes, yeah, definitely. I just thought like, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I basically I was too young to appreciate that movies could be bad, and that certainly sequels, by definition, like began with almost an uphill struggle to not be bad. Yeah. Yeah, I was, mm. I was definitely kind of pre that realization. I kind of missed that era in my life yeah. of knowing that just everything's wonderful, everything's <laughs> rainbows and glitter, and whatever you put in front of yourself, it's going to be brilliant. And I don't know when it changes. I don't know. I can't remember the film that destroyed my life, but yeah. <laughs> like you, Return of Jafar holds really good memories in my head. And I, I can't bring myself to rewatch it just in case it's not good. Because I like you, I remember. I remember the day I got it. I was so excited about it. It was in the little drawer in W. H. Smith's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, I'm getting Return of Jafar today. And like Aladdin was such a good film. Uh, probably one of my favourite Disney films up there with uh, probably Lion King. I went and saw Aladdin a few times, I think. Um, but it was just yeah, magic. Even the song. I can't remember any of the songs. I can't remember who returns. Robin Williams definitely returned. Like you, I can't remember the plot. But the parrot definitely does come good and then bad and then good or something. something like that. It's ringing a bell, yeah. Somehow he escapes from the, the lamp. Rich, do you have any recollection of Return of Jafar? Have I you... don't think I've ever seen it. 
I know I, I should really watch it because loads of people pick it as their first sequel memory, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Like, it doesn't doesn't stick in my memory whatsoever. Maybe they should do yeah. Aladdin three. The <laughs> Jafar has returned again. Let's just keep I, it I don't, coming back. I don't ruin this, but it's already in Aladdin three. It's called like Prince of Thieves. Really? Wow. And Robin Will- Robin Williams came back for that one. I've never again never watched it. Wow, that's crazy. But we could have an Aladdin 4. There's no way they could have stopped at 3. <laughs> it was a TV series, I think, maybe. What's there? Oh, this is Disney. They, you know, milk everything. Well, we're talking mm. a couple of days after the, um, what was it, the live-action remake of Moana, a film that came out, like, seemingly, like, in my brain, like, a year what? ago. So maybe we're due for the, the live-action Aladdin remake of the animation came out what like three years ago we're probably due the animated yeah. sequel to the there's some sort of configuration here yeah oh yeah we, we should I can't believe they're doing a live action moana really the rock's desperate this is how i feel <laughs> <laughs> he needs he needs a big win under he his can't belt. he can't be how are they going to do that though he's got like he's got like dancing tattoos in moana like, that's kind of, it's kind of look ridiculous. <laughs> that's not the Rock's problem. <laughs> He's going to be Maui. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this sounds bad it, already. It does seem a bit quick to turn around a film from a classic animated film to a, a live action ones. Normally, like we're getting Little Mermaid this year uh, mm. and and stuff like that. I'm I'm surprised they haven't done a Return of Jafar live action. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Will Smith it. could do with know. a win. Yeah, I'm game. Let's go. Guy Ritchie will come back and direct another one. <laughs> I think Guy Ritchie's actually directing Hercules, the live action. Yeah, um, this really? is ringing a bell. Yeah. Everything I'm saying to you is confusing you, Rich. I can tell. Wow. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> he did the live action Aladdin, didn't he? Yes, he did. Guy does. Ritchie. And it was rubbish. I'm not. It's not just me, right? That It was bad. It had elements of being rubbish, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it still has the songs. Yeah, that's fair. With but added rap be... elements, because Will exactly. Smith, and because, you know, you've got to connect with the kids. Of course. Is yeah, that why absolutely. it ended with DJ Khalid? I think that's, the, I think that's uh, an attempt at representation. <laughs> I really feel like it's saddening <laughs> me to say, but uh, yeah, because obviously the, the original, it's, I haven't gone back to Return to... The return of Jafar, but I have gone back to Aladdin, the original, and while like mm. it will forever have a place in my heart, and you know, without wanting to open too many cans of worms here, like I'm kind of of the opinion that you have to kind of treat a lot of stuff like a time capsule, and mm. okay, like basically, like the original Aladdin is capital P problematic, like there, it does not have a great uh track record in terms of representing that era, that that region, and yeah. uh, mm. yeah, sort of like. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a kind of mess in terms of like its approach to race and all sorts. However, that said, like, um, yeah, I think like uh, it, it the the kind of the remake tried to course correct a lot of that stuff, but it's got quite a lot to do. And yeah, so I, I think some of the yeah, there were there were some decisions made there that you can see they were made with good intentions, but they didn't necessarily execute them very well. Yeah, I mean to be fair to it it's better than the lion king remake which was just lifeless well (laughs) however though i'm very much looking forward to you guys uh, you know tackling the impending lion king sequel directed by none other than barry jenkins 
I know, right? I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of really intrigued by it. <laughs> I'm super intrigued by that. Is... But that's not <laughs> set on Lion King 2 animation sequel, is it? Simba's Pride or whatever it's called. I don't yeah. think so. I think it's just an original original. I tale. think they're doing an original story. Hopefully okay. the, the, the lions have more going on with their faces because they the lions in the the lion king let's call it anime no remake whatever you want to call it because it's basically all vhs yeah they look bored throughout (laughs) it's because lions don't have human expressions so if you make the lions realistic you miss out on the expressiveness of the character and therefore the lions just end up looking bored it's like oh my dad's dead i'm bored like it's like What is your best sequel ever? All right. This was hard. I really deliberated <laughs> over this. Um, my best sequel is The Matrix Reloaded. Okay. And why is that? <laughs> why is it your best sequel ever? Well, I'm I'm sure like loads of people are listening in and they're like, no, 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 they said the best. Because so many people <laughs> seem to have like real bones to pick with this movie. Yeah. So like, I know it's a really popular thing to say like, you know, such and such a film has only grown more relevant with time and et cetera, et cetera. But I genuinely have found that my relationship with The Matrix Reloaded, a film that, like many, kind of left me a bit mystified when I went to see it uh, for the first time as like a, gosh, I think I was about 15. Yeah. But yeah, over the course of like the decades since, I have only come to appreciate it as a story in its own right, as like a sequel that comments on the idea of sequels as a sequel that kind of like challenges everything about the first film and about your relationship with the first film. And um, yeah, to to me, it's just um, everything about it has kind of grown more interesting, like as time has gone on and as Hollywood has gone in the direction that it has gone in terms of the sort of rise of the sort of superhero films and all that sort of thing. It's also kind of fascinating, you know, everything we know now about the Wachowskis and you know like where their lives and careers went to like it, you know it's just fascinating to me that uh there's there's so much to read in this movie basically mm. and yeah excited to get into it with you guys i'm i'm excited because dave famously changes his mind like guests guests can very easily change dave's mind so i'm interested <laughs> to see how you change dave's mind on this movie because he, he's not a fan, right? <laughs> not, not a fan. Not a fan. We'll get into that. Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's build towards the big end. Um, you were 15. You came, it came out in the cinema. You must have seen The the Matrix in, from 99. Oh, like a billion times. Like there were two, I think the first two DVDs that my family owned were like Austin Powers and The Matrix. Two cinematic classics right there. And yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I was, I think like, some films just find you at the right time in your life to sort of serendipitously like hit you and change you on just like a molecular level. And The Matrix yeah. was absolutely that for me. Like I was, I don't know, I must have been 12 or something like, and I was just young enough to, uh, I, I was kind of ready to sort of have the existential questions posed to me that that film posed. And um, yeah, it just rewired my brain. It introduced me to yeah the the idea of science fiction as like a kind of gateway drug into questions about the world and about existence and all this sort of thing and uh it was just a type of filmmaking that i hadn't seen before and a type of film filmmaking that i think like you know american cinema really hadn't seen before or at least yeah. not in this configuration so i was totally obsessed and there are a few things that i have looked forward to more in my life than 
two Matrix sequels shot back to back. Like I remember I was counting down the days, weeks and months. I really couldn't wait for wait for the day where I could go see Reloaded. And I saw it on the first day, went with a bunch of friends to uh, Basingstoke View Cinema, I think it was. And um, yeah, I remember everything. Like it's such a kind of formative memory that I remember like, yeah, I remember the exact sort of weather. I remember like, yeah, I remember getting the train. I remember being outside like the train station and sort of waiting for my friends and just being like, I was levitating. That's how excited I was for it because the first film had been, I don't know, it was like, it, it just had, it had just been such a fundamental part of my like early teenage years. And and here was the next installment in that. So yeah, I was really, really excited. And it, And you watched it and then you came out of it and... How did you feel afterwards initially? I know you built 10 years now. It's a, a great sequel to you. But that initial first watch, were you confused? Were you underwhelmed a little bit? Disappointed? I was really confused. And I was, I, I probably was a bit underwhelmed. But I was also sort of like viewing it very much as like, well, a lot of these kind of, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle, like they'll be answered in, in part three. And sort of by the time that third film has come out, I'm sure like it will feel more complete and I'll have like a better sense of um of what 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 they were trying to do here. So I was a bit perplexed and I was a little bit kind of like um yeah, you you sort of expect a sequel and especially, you know, coming coming off the back of like a a decade in cinema the 90s in which like hmm. the approach to sequels was very much like one of doubling down, you know, you liked that, here's more. The Matrix Reloaded was not interested in doing that. And it it was kind of like, uh, it challenged almost every aspect of the first film. It challenged why you connected with that first film. And like the undoing, the, I mean, I I don't want to speculate too much like on, on the behalf of the filmmakers as to what their motivations were. But it was really interesting. Like at school, I remember the people who kind of like, there was a real spread of people who loved the matrix who I went to, who I kind of grew up with. And there was like a, a slightly like jockey crowd, I suppose, who also really loved the movie and would apply the word would apply words like badass to it. And like the things they loved about it were very much like, I know guy, the lobby kind of shootout scene, which I loved as well. And like, but, but I I think like they connected to it as a piece of action cinema and I, again, I don't want to sort of speculate too much, but like it's it's there's a reading of Reloaded as kind of the Wachowskis looking at how the Matrix was co-opted mm. from the start and going like, well, we don't feel very comfortable with this as people who are kind of like, you know, they are political radicals. They are like they're radicals in every sense. And they mm. it, there's a reading of this film as like a kind of a, a rebuke and, and a sort of self-reflection on like what film did we make and why why has some of the reaction to it and some of its success made us feel uncomfortable like what if, did we accidentally glorify things in that story did we accidentally fall into like filmmaking kind of tropes in that film that we no longer feel comfortable with and i think like all of that stuff when you are kind of a 15 year old kid expecting like more of the same it is kind of underwhelming it is kind of disorientating and it really has taken it it took me about sort of 10 years maybe 15 to 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 go from that feeling to one of kind of, well the the kind of arc for me was like when i when i saw the third one i actively didn't like the third one and then i kind of went on this kind of like i kind of got caught up 
in the sort of derision of it all i suppose and i'm not sort of mm. particularly proud to say that but like after a while like i kind of on just watches at home over the years as it kind of stuck with me i couldn't work out why i couldn't just sort of like park those movies the way that i kind of was able to park like the star wars prequels it's just not movies for me i couldn't let the matrix movies i just couldn't let them go and i just had to understand them and it was over the course of like i remember that it was about 10 years later that i was i did a rewatch and it was it all finally clicked for me and i sort of yeah began to really re- not just sort of like accept these movies but sort of understand them as doing something really 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 revolutionary i've i've done something similar i i kind of didn't did a rewatch not too long ago and i did come out of it going do you know what reloaded reloaded isn't as bad as i thought <laughs> i mean the third one still verges on, on unwatchable for me but i i told but the second one this reloaded i do think isn't as definitely isn't as bad as i'd as i'd as i'd thought it was and actually what you've said about the wachowskis really makes sense because i did come out of it and go do you know what it, it's, it's like they took all the bits that people loved from the matrix and went we're not doing any of those <laughs> we're not doing any of those bits and that so it makes complete sense to that you know what you've said to say like oh well actually they maybe they didn't like the reaction to it and and that kind of that again thinking about them as people that does make sense absolutely i'm still not sure i completely like i love it i'm not sure i love the first one to be honest like, oh, wow. i think i'm the only person on the planet who didn't love the first matrix movie yeah that's that's unforgivable um, well <laughs> Well, I can it's, I can give you myself. They're all better than the fourth one. Get <laughs> <laughs> okay, that. What's I actually there, love huh? the fourth one, and again, the fourth one has only enhanced my appreciation of um, this film. So, Reloaded, like having this was the first time I've gone back to Reloaded since watching Resurrections, and I really, really like Resurrections. Again, as kind of like a, a kind of commentary on the nature of sequels and the nature of reboots. And obviously the kind of context around that movie was the Matrix 4 was happening one way or another. The studio made that quite clear. And um, uh, gosh, I'm, I really hope I'm getting this right. Lana Wachowski, Robin and Lily. I hope I've got that the right, right way around. That it was, it was one of the sisters who kind of went ahead without the other. Yeah, she basically like decided, well, like I'll make, if it's going to happen, I'd rather make it myself and, and make it a film that kind of con- continues down the path started by Reloaded that like kind of like gestures towards the the sort of action spectacle that people wanted from from a Matrix sequel all those years ago but really is kind of like it's quite focused in on a question that like is really missing in a lot of uh, like blockbuster movie making today which is like what, what what's the fight for and like hmm. the the kind of running thread across these sequels that um I think the Wachowskis put like more and more kind of uh, emphasis on and dedicated more movie real estate to that kind of edged out the action stuff and kind of left a lot of people annoyed was, you know, it's like love and it's people and it's community. And it's like, you know, now people, okay. as a good like illustration of this for me and uh, why it's interesting and why for me it works. The seek the scene in the, um, the scene in Reloaded that a lot of people use as a kind of like stick to bat this movie with, um, you know, uh, it, it kind of like for a lot of people, they talk about it as being the moment when they were in the cinema, then when they were like, what's going on here? There's this kind of rave scene early on, which is kind of intercut between like Neo and Trinity having sex. 
And uh, like for a while, I did kind of like buy into that as like, okay, it's really long and it's kind of ridiculous. But like, <laughs> you know what? After like all these years of like, um, you know, sort of, I, I do find like a lot of superhero cinema today, there's just, it's it feels so weightless because there's not, it, basically, I think a lot of these movies that come out today would actually really benefit from having a scene like that that shows kind of like, community that shows love like what, what what's it all for what are you fighting for what is like the point of these stories if you don't see like you know actually is it just like it, without something that kind of like tethers the whole story to like actual people who experience actual joy and connection together like it's just cgi bashing around and you never really see the real people who who the kind of like saving the world actually impacts who it's all for so mm. yeah I, I kind of really like um even that scene which again is still kind of like it was at the time because i i used to hate it and you're like i get it now <laughs> what are we fighting for you yeah okay keep going good oh well okay i'll carry on this 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 thread because I, I like believe me this this spiel has come out of the pub a good few times because i've had <laughs> many many people to kind of like try and sell this movie on so to me like like reloaded is best viewed as like the, the first film is such like an archetypal like hero's journey so the story of neo is the story of harry potter it's the story of luke skywalker it's the story of like every superhero origin story normal kid plucked from obscurity who goes on a you know receives a call to call to arms and has to kind of like step up and save the day take on this incredible yeah. destiny it's that is like the narrative template uh that it's the kind of go-to narrative template for Hollywood and, and, you know, not just Hollywood, like a lot of pop culture, a lot of literature, like dates back to, to kind of, yeah, this, this kind of journey, this template. And there, there are, there's, you know, book Joseph Campbell, like there, there's kind of real kind of like, uh, there's, there's a lot written basically on, uh, about the, the, the beats that each of these stories has. And, um, that is, that is the matrix to a T like it follows each and every single one of those beats the beauty of reloaded is it kind of like completely renders that ridiculous and it you know the entire point you know the 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 entire kind of last act revelation that you you've been calling yourself the one we've we, we as a movie have been referring to you as the one neo is you know an anagram of one actually like there have been six of you this is a cycle we do hero journeys all the time and it's always the same that's so interesting to me and it's a complete like unpicking of like uh this idea that one person will save the day one person will kind of like step up and be the hero the kind of i, I think about this a lot because like it's uh the the older you get like the more you realize that actually that's just not how the world works and anything that is anything good that happens anything that is is achieved is done through kind of collective action and kind of mm. it, it's kind of collective purpose and um again i don't want to speculate on on the filmmaker's motivations if that was the reason why but like uh there is just something about like the way that reloaded explodes the entire <laughs> not just like the entire premise of the first film but the entire premise of most hollywood movies it's just so so fascinating to me and it's just that's just like one in a line of like incredible like incredibly like to me you know revolutionary things that the movie was doing 
the fact that it can do it while delivering something as exciting as the freeway chase, aka one of the best things I've seen yeah. in an action film ever. Um, yeah, to me, it's it's pretty remarkable, and like the, the kind of balancing act of those things is is pretty astonishing to me. Okay, we have to talk about the freeway scene. Now you brought it up. Yeah, that is that is its big selling point to me. Yeah. It is it is incredible. You can't watch that and think that's not good because it is it's <laughs> it's magic and especially when you start reading about how they put that together they literally built the highway or something it's yeah it's absolutely insane how they've done it and everything you say i totally agree with you uh but the first time i ever saw this film it made me so angry um, <laughs> and not in a good way mm. and didn't you see it at midnight on, on release day yeah i went to a, a midnight show in a couple of days before it got released so a cinema worked uh, was above the bowling alley I worked in, and they you're like come and watch the Matrix. So I dragged a load of friends at twelve o'clock at night. I went, it's the sequel to the Matrix. It's just going to be full of shooting and fighting, and it's going to be brilliant and bullet time. And there's no bullet time. Uh, I've let go of that. I think now because you know they. I think the directors they created a monster with that. Yeah, and it got yeah. so lambasted in in like scary movie and like the Max Payne films and computer games, it no longer felt original or fresh. And I've, I think I've got no problem That's that went. I just, I think it sometimes, sounds ridiculous now, I think it goes over the top with its, um, what other words I'm trying to look, explaining. Like the end bit with the, <laughs> the, arch, the architect, with the with Colonel Argo, Yeah, Argo Vizovi. <laughs> it's not until like like you about five years ago that i actually sat down and listened to what he was saying because the first time i was just like what, what is this shit <laughs> what what is going on where is the fighting uh and i don't like the 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 scene with the merovingian uh in the restaurant for some reason that absolutely triggers me <laughs> to be furiously angry i'm just come on get to the good bits but everything you say, I'm now like, oh, yeah, I didn't like the dancing, but I can see a point of the dancing now. And I, it's the first time, first time I've ever watched it, and I actually had a bit of fun today. Uh, <laughs> like, the fighting, is, the fighting is still incredible in this film. Uh, the one bit that gets a bit silly is the Agent Smith pylon. That's, that's the bit I don't like. It, yeah. it didn't, I didn't think it looked good then, and it certainly I don't think aged now, but Hugo Weaving and Keanu Reeves sell the shit out of it. Uh, like I don't most think I like Agent movie. Smith at all. Really? really? He's the thing for me, yeah. I just oh, don't... I think he's a great bad guy. I don't get him. I don't get him. <laughs> I, I, I get what... Well, yeah, I just don't think I understand Agent Smith <laughs> at all. <laughs> Can I give you my rebuttals to those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. This is like well-practiced at the pub over the last like oh, 10 years this. or so. All right, so the... Um, all right, so first, the Merovin stuff, like... I would agree that like the exec like the fact that it took me quite a few watches of this movie early on, like as a kid, to realize like how awesome the concept of that was. So like the idea that yes, the the Matrix has existed for many iterations and like a lot of the things that we consider myths, like vampires and ghosts, mm. are actually kind of like hangers on from previous iterations of the Matrix just awesome it's an amazing excuse to get a ghost in a matrix movie it's an amazing excuse to have vampires in a matrix movie but like oh my god they're ghosts yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Um, okay. You know, so, you know, I would say that, like, that stuff is, like, conceptually really interesting. It's maybe there's an argument to be made that, like, it could be kind of delivered in a bit more of an in-your-face way that kind of makes makes obvious without needing to kind of watch it 80 billion times as I have and go down 80 million hours worth of uh, Wikipedia <laughs> rabbit holes. Okay. Yeah. The, um, the sort of, like, KFC dude at the end... Again, I kind of uh, that was something that was really, really parodied in the aftermath of this film, and I think Will Ferrell and Justin Timberlake. It yeah, it's really it's very funny, funny. and it, it it lends itself so much to parody because it is so over the top. It took me a while to realize that I think like the intention of that, or maybe certainly like it's readable um, as kind of being a comment. The scene is readable as being a comment on like the way that like it, it's pretty pointed. The fact that the 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 architect that's his name he uh you know he resembles kind of our understanding of god you know white guy with a white beard kind of thing is like uh mm. how we generally think about about god or how he's depicted in in sort of our kind of culture and the language he uses the fact that it is so over the top and it's so kind of like i don't know it's just impenetrable the language it's so stuffy and so kind of like labyrinthine like it's really to me it's kind of like it's kind of about the bureaucracy of like language and how like language by kind of traditional white gatekeepers who Wachowski's probably were in, encountering quite a lot in their travails in Hollywood you know they do like use all this language that's purposefully kind of like you know it's it's really you know it's just big words to kind of like intimidate you and it's it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel quite intimidated <laughs> by that scene. Um, yeah, but I understand like a lot of people bump up against that that whole scene. I think it's it's maybe it's it's maybe guilty of doing something that I think like is much more like it's much less defensible in the third film, which is it's it's so committed to an idea and something it wants to express that maybe like it's kind of actually difficult to follow sometimes mm. so yeah like i remember it took me a good while to understand like what is happening in that in that scene and would it have benefited from like in hindsight would it would the scene have played better would the ending have worked more if like it was clearer wait what what what, what did you just explain because i don't think the first time i watched it <laughs> i really understood that wait there have been I'm still six not sure matrixes. I understand it. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's, it's pretty kind of like even on this watch, like I had to remind myself why, like, wait, how did, you know, wait, how did he stop the machines at the end? Like, there's a lot that isn't especially trackable about this movie because it wants you to play by its terms rather than kind of like spoon feeding you. There is yeah, no spoon I, to use a Matrix. Hold. I was not ready for that when I was younger. I wanted it to be spoon fed. Like, <laughs> yeah, please just explain what's going on. But I've got better at that. Um. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I forget. Yeah. I mean, so... The, basically that there are a sort of there are a lot of things about this movie that like people understandably bump up against but for me i don't know just like I can't... oh that was the third thing you mentioned about how like the the fight scenes like the first one there seemed to be a, obviously there was bullet time but they were kind of with this film verging more into kind of like cgi like slow-mo yeah yeah and it's and like the the big there's a name for it like something brawl where they have it's it, all the agent smiths kind of piling on neo like yeah it does like i remember being kind of really disappointed at the time because i loved how how real the fight the fighting felt obviously you know real 
in quotation marks, mm. but you know, it felt grounded in, in a world we recognized in, in the first film. And I remember thinking like, why have they lent so far into sort of like computer imagery? Like the world no longer, it's got that green tint to it. Like the city is less like recognizable as a city. I felt like the first one, like maybe was New York or like, it just felt recognizable. Mm. Like the locations and the fighting, they felt tangible. They felt real. And I remember being really disappointed that I felt when I was a kid that they had made like a choice to kind of, yeah, go in, go with CGI. And there are obviously kind of big moments, like big chunks of the movie where everything you are seeing on screen is computer generated. I think like big parts of that, that fight scene, you know, a camera couldn't move like that. So of course it's all computer generated at a time when that was all really primitive in terms of that technology. Yeah. But going, I don't know if this is, purposeful i don't know if it's an accident but for me like going back to that stuff now there is an in-world reason why that stuff does look more uncanny and it kind of works to me kind of like you know the whole idea of the matrix is when you accept the reality you're given and then when you see when it's like revealed that that reality isn't isn't real you can't uh, you can't unsee it you can't go back to how you saw it before mm. so there's a more there's more artifice to the like the city that they're in there's more it just feels less real and more simu simulated and to me like it kind of it, it kind of works in terms of the character's journey and it, it, it kind of like the filmmaking style feels subjective to the character and yeah. to the audience we recognize now that that city is a computer generated city it makes sense to me that we are now witnessing computer generated fights and and the line there is being blurred more i don't know if that's what they did on purpose or whether they were just like computers are cool that saves us a lot of trouble yeah, i don't know probably, probably they probably did do it on purpose i think i don't know i think um i think for me i just i guess i felt like the more explanation i got the more i didn't understand <laughs> so much of it you know like the the more the, the more the movie explains the more i think well What's the point of this? Like, what's the point of it? Why, why has everybody got guns? We know they're not real. We know they're pointless. Like, why have them? Like, why are you fighting? What is the point? You know, it's not real. Like, I don't know. It's the kind of yeah. I guess the more I understood, the less I, the less I like bought into it. I guess. Well, that was the the first film. Like, the world building and the rules of the universe are so mm. perfect, and that is perfectly calibrated in the first film, where it's like. You need your the matrix isn't real, but your brain thinks it is. So if you die in the matrix, you die in real life. And it just yeah. like there seemed to it seemed to make sense at the time that like guns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's the the world building and the sort of like mythology of it all. The the rules of that universe gets a little wavier in the second film, and progressively as the as the kind of series goes on, it I think it just becomes less of a as as the filmmakers become more concerned in sort of like or more concerned more interested in like exploring the philosophic like the the philosophy of of the mm. matrix and what it represents mm. they become a little bit more kind of like uh you know yeah sure uh, yeah guns i don't know like yeah uh, don't worry about it like they're not they're not <laughs> as like hung up on those things and uh yeah there are some moments where it sort of takes takes you out maybe a little bit but um it, i think yeah. it comes down to and I, I kind of understand anyone falling on either side of this divide. Do you find the, the the do you find the philosophy of it all meaty and interesting enough that you're that, that it kind of subsidizes for the fact that like the, the rules aren't as 
kind of clear yeah. cut anymore. The, there's some cracks mm. in it. Like it's not making sense in the way that the first film was. I'd like to, I, I like the philosophy a bit more, but I also like the rules. In my head, I'm like, I like that you're explaining. I like it when movies explain things. I like understanding. I like knowing why things happen. But I also like it when they go, and the reason we told you this is because this happened. And it's not that fuzzy. I don't deal well, I guess, in the fuzzy grey areas of mm. the rules changing, which, yeah, which I think is what happens, it's, which is probably why I have an issue with, with Reloaded. Yeah. Because it's, it is better than I thought it was. But I, And I think my main issue still stands is that I don't like the fuzzy bit. <laughs> I don't like the... <laughs> I don't like it breaking its own rules. Essentially, I think that's. Yeah, I, I that's agree. Where I'm at. I agree with that. Um, first time is today was the first time I enjoyed it in a long time. So I think that's a win on all accounts. Do you think like your perception of this movie and how like well you know sort of regardless of your opinion, I think everyone's in a like everyone generally seems to be of the consensus that like it 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 goes to weird places. It definitely doesn't double mm. down. Do you, does you, has your appreciation or you know, relationship with the film changed at all? Because the majority of sequels we get these days, now we are in the kind of like Marvel model of movie making. It's very kind of like it, it, it's on tracks. Like it's you know, there's yeah, a formula. Yeah. Like I've personally found that like my, probably one of the reasons why my appreciation for these movies has grown as it has is because like as things become more entrenched in hero's journey more entrenched in sort of like a very very rigid kind of template for what a movie looks like and what a sequel looks like now i'm just kind of i I think that's part of why like i'm i appreciate the swings even if like the swings made don't always kind of hit right absolutely no i i completely agree with you and i think i do appreciate this movie more than that when i first watched it and i am completely bored of superhero movies (laughs) like I, i really am and we watch a lot of them because they're the ones that have all the sequels yeah and yeah that i'm just yeah i'm just done i'm just i'm just um i think we've explained it as marveled out i think is, yeah. is how i feel <laughs> um so yeah I, I think i do appreciate appreciate the the uh attempts like you say even even the swings that don't hit yeah, and like, yes. if, even if it's not, even if it's not a movie that I'm going to sit down and go, oh, do you know I really fancy watching any of the Matrix again? I've got to be honest, <laughs> but you know, um, I, I still appreciate you know the the craft that goes into it and the thought behind it. Yeah, and absolutely. Oh, yeah, still appreciate the Wachowskis as as creatives because you know the, I do think they produce interesting things. They always produce interesting things. Not everything they produce is is good we've no, watched, no. we've recently Something's watched speed, speed, speed racer yeah. <laughs> um and jupiter ascending is also one of theirs um and then you get sense eight which is incredible i love it so you, you know, can't say they ever take the easy road yeah definitely not. yeah which you've got to respect as a filmmaker for them what's been your most disappointing sequel so not your worst sequel we'll get to that in a second but what's the dis- most disappointing sequel you went in big came oh, out low gosh that's that's a really tricky one. I, I mean, I think like in terms of like pure emotive reaction, I, I, like, I remember being so obsessed with Men in Black when I was a kid and then the sequel, because it did kind of give you more of the same, but less, less good or less fresh, certainly, because it was such, it was a retread of the first film. I, re- I remember being quite, quite disappointed with that, but I haven't gone back to that since. So maybe, my, maybe that's a better film than I remember. 
Um, no, it's not. It's rubbish. Just <laughs> someone has picked that. I just want to point that out that is rubbish. <laughs> it makes me physically angry talking about Men in Black too. Okay, that makes me feel feel great. I think there's probably like uh, there's something to be said for like Rise of Skywalker. I'm sure that's a film that has been yeah. referenced uh, on this podcast a good number of times. Like, uh, mm-hmm. so I won't, I won't uh, belabor the point too much as I'm sure people have articulated their problems with it much much better than I have. But um, or I will. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I was I was so in on the, on Star Wars even after Last Jedi, which uh, you know I thought was quite a bold movie and I, I think my problem with sequels to, to kind of zoom out a little bit is like they are inherently kind of like pretty capitalistic and you know i i the sequels i love like reloaded they uh kind of like find ways to justify their existence at, that, that isn't in a way where the primary focus isn't just like how do we make more money and mm-hmm. the reason why this the sequels that i dislike like a, a lot of the kind of as much as you can call like the marvel movies sequels at this point you know i i don't like filmmaking where it, it does feel like it exists to kind of like uh yeah sort of yeah generate income for a lot of people yeah um, who already have a lot of income and uh yeah I, I sort of feel like rise of skywalker is uh it it, it kind of just like it's it's all knowing what i know about like the film's production having read uh, the original script for that that then got chucked out the window because it wasn't palatable in terms of keeping the the Star Wars like Empire running kind of long term. <laughs> uh, Empire being a, a pretty pretty apt word. Um, yeah, like I, I, to me, like Rise of Skywalker's like sequel making at its kind of at its kind of most problematic in terms of just like you see where all the kind of you can see the kind of disruption that's kind of taken place mm. on that film where loads of people have meddled with it to the point where creativity has taken a backseat, like, and the thing driving it is, is no longer like we want to tell a really great story. I mean, I'm sure that is the intention for a lot of people who, who, who work on it, but um, yeah, the, the no final, one, no one plans to make a bad film, do they? No one plans to make no. a bad film. No, but it was just, um, it was, it was really, really, really disappointing to me. It was really obviously a movie made by committee rather than by, by vision i think yeah and, totally and, you know, and i think it definitely loses something in that yeah and i say that I, that's me being very gentle because i literally shouted oh fuck off at the end of that movie <laughs> in, in the cinema so well, dude this <laughs> is the thing and it kind of goes back to like what i love about reloaded you know the last jedi again i can understand why a lot of people didn't get on with that film but it's like you know the the, the thing that was interesting about the last jedi was again like reloaded it's like the, the the most brilliant moment in that film is Ray is perhaps no one and yeah. isn't that exciting like it you don't need absolutely to be like on a it's not a hero's journey anymore like it's like and anyone anywhere can have the four like it democratizes the idea of like being good and being a hero yeah. and that's just so much more interesting to me than where they kind of wound things back to at the end where it's like and her name is Ray Skywalker. It just oh, like oh, just, no. yeah, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> all she had to do was just say it's just Ray. Yeah, that would have been that's so all it needed perfect. to be. That really, really would have like that single line would have made the movie hit a lot better. Yeah, than, but... who are you? Nobody. And then yeah. <laughs> uses the force to bring something close to her. Yeah, yeah. Cut, cut to the end. That would have been that would have made up a lot of errors in that that movie for me because like like you, I was hugely disappointed by it um 
oh man that film sucked but running back to also sucked didn't even have a good song it was called nod your head will smith did it it was was terrible um nod your head parentheses the black suits come in i believe nod your head Dave gets really, really angry about Men in Black 2. This is the first time I really enjoyed you giving me that little singing excerpt there, Dave. This is the first time I've been on a podcast and been serenaded. I, I do a lot of singing and Rich tells me not to. My wife tells me not to. Uh, it's accents, not the singing, it's accents. It's accents. I'm not allowed... Yeah, that's oh, what you're not allowed to Are you going to bust out some Rage Against the Machine, like, you know, true Matrix you know, style for the end of this what? episode? Maybe. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy the end of that. And at the end of... Shouldn't go back to Reloaded, but were you hyped when they played the Revolutions trailer at the end of Reloaded? That did that suck you back in for a second after your disappointing first watch? See, I'm bringing it back to disappointing. Yeah, of Reloaded. Oh, it definitely did. But also, I mean, I feel like I can't remember exactly how it went down, but they played like they obviously play the credits. Rage Against the Machine comes on. Like you could be showing me like you know sort of like a video of someone like. I don't know, just like doing their tax return or something. Stick rage on the soundtrack, and I'm like, yeah, do those taxes. Like, I'm so amped, it's yeah, adrenaline in musical form. Put another star on that review, right? Let's get Brilliant. on. What is because this is a good one. Oh, what is, is your worst ever sequel? Um, this follows on quite nicely from when you asked me about disappointing, because you know, sequels <laughs> to be disappointing or to be the worst sequel. you know i think i imagine a lot of people come on the show and answer this question it's like they loved the first film and then the second film it was such a drop off Mm. it got so many things wrong about that i don't love the first iteration of the movie that uh i'm talking about the sequel of today (laughs) but this this movie is just so astoundingly astoundingly i'm like loathe to call anything bad but like it is bad it's bad Um, it's really bad (laughs) yeah um so my worst sequel is Green Street 2, or as it was known in America, Hooligans 2. Or it's also known here, Green Street 2, uh, Stand Your Place or Stand Your Ground. It's Stand called. Your Ground. Stand Your Ground. Yeah. I think, I can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure legally you have to pronounce it as Stand Your Ground. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> I should, for anyone who's coming to this, coming to this... Uh, unaware of the green street uh cinematic universe uh so <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe one of you guys to want to, i mean yeah do you do you how, what's your relationship with green street before i explain it um <sighs> my brother went for a few years of buying me terrible films on dvd so he bought me like strip tease dead or alive uh films like that and eventually bought me green street he's like you have to watch this it's pretty bad but it's good um, it's got Elijah Wood. You love a Lord of the Rings in it, <laughs> and that's like, okay. That sounds interesting. And then it's got Charlie Charlie Hunnam, who's a brilliant actor now, who sounds better when he's American than when he does an accent in his actual native uh, country. Yeah, and it's a weird machine, old Green Street, because it it is it is quite entertaining in places. Yeah, um, and it's there, there is a there is a plot there, and there's there's also like levels of you know jeopardy and you feel yeah. the characters a little bit yeah uh, and then you get and i didn't even know this is a thing today green street <laughs> and then you get to this one uh and only one of the side characters comes back and they're in prison oh big time they are yeah yeah in america <laughs> well this is one of the this is yeah. one of the very very yeah there, there are so many yeah. kind of like big questions about this movie 
All right, so Green Street, for anyone who's not uh, aware, Green Street is um, a movie uh, about, well, Elijah Wood stars as an American journalism dropout who, mm. after kind of like unfairly being booted out of uni, college, whatever they call Harvard it over there, is, yeah. Harvard, yeah, um, he sort of decides to get away from it all and comes to England and sort of accidentally becomes um, sort of ingratiated in like a like a, a football kind of hooliganism firm yeah glcs they call themselves that's right yeah and the uh you know I, i'm i'm no, a west gscs green street i don't know yeah, yeah. carry on sorry um <laughs> yeah so basically like it's I, i'm as a little aside i'm a west ham fan i think my like Brilliant. relationship with this movie was like why I, I remember being really intrigued by it because i was like why west, west, ham, <laughs> west ham have allowed their like you know they've obviously kind of given permission for filming and they've given permission for the west ham name and all this kind of thing and it's like guys why this is such a bad advert for your club <laughs> and anyway so yeah kind of uh yeah elijah wood at the center of this kind of big you know sort of rivalry rivalry between these two um uh, supporters, uh, set of supporters, mm. all ends with this big fight. And you would have thought, like, okay, there's absolutely no need for a uh, sequel, especially after the first film didn't do particularly well, like in terms of reviews and all that sort of thing. But um, this, of course, was the era of like, it was kind of, we were still in the midst of the sort of DVD boom at the minute where it was yeah. very easy for movies to kind of like turn a profit because people were just buying DVDs in their in their droves and it, it it didn't need a theatrical release anymore you could just make so much money so they gave yeah they sort of set aside i think lionsgate was the studio they set aside a million dollars for a green street sequel and um this uh so the <laughs> the plot involves uh very rooted in, very rooted in reality i believe um yeah the there's all the people from the big fight at the end of the first green street they're all in prison the same prison, obviously, um, and they uh, obviously because <laughs> that's what you do. It's sick that people <laughs> just had a massive fight in a contained area. I'm sure that won't lead to any problems. Um, yeah, so basically, <laughs> bit of a bloody problem. There's only too many people in the jail. <laughs> so the authorities like, well, how do we? We're overpopulated. What do we do? They decide to. Um, they, they're gonna. They're gonna have to let some of the prisoners go. How do we decide? have a five-a-side football match between the two firms winner, <laughs> winner gets their freedom that's never happening that's not a thing and i'm so upset that they would make a film that suggests that that's a thing it's like the, the governor of the prison he's reading through a list and he's like we can't let this guy's in for rape isn't he we can't let him out <laughs> like you can't let any of them out what are you talking yeah. about it's just like, oh, well, you're all murderers, but you won a football match, so uh, out you go. <laughs> the problem is, is your synopsis makes it sound much better than it actually is. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> at least that makes it sound fun. I've Well, like, I've thought a lot about that synopsis because, like, on one hand, I think if I ever sort of, like, went to jail for, I don't know what, what my crime would be, but, like, you know, if I ever went to jail, on one hand, I think I'd be sort of, like, very much eaten alive like would not last the night but on the other hand i, I am quite good at five-a-side football so maybe i could earn my freedom uh. you know so I've, I've thought about this a lot the green street team <laughs> comes up a lot in my thoughts but um yeah it's very bizarre there and and for some reason 
most of the cast are American, putting on like really bad Cockney accents. And then yeah, there's a, a lot Rich of Dick Van Dyke of, in there, isn't there? <laughs> loads. And then, yeah, as, as, as Rich rightly points out, for some reason, they didn't film in a UK prison. They don't even make an attempt to make it look like it. They're all wearing they like, do not. like prison break style, like orange <laughs> jumpsuits in clearly an American prison. The whole thing is just bonkers. I can't. I, I don't understand what's going on in this movie. It, also, you can just tell everyone's struggling with the heat. They continuously <laughs> look hot and they've got fans blowing everywhere. There's one point where they, they're like, oh, why did you come to the to church? And then someone goes, oh, it's got air conditioning. I was like, that's not a thing. You know, like, like it's the opposite. It'd be, it's got heating. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it kind of falls into the same, um, like... I reckon if it, it falls into the same habit of the first film in which like it pads out its runtime by basically someone explaining something in Cockney, supposed Cockney rhyming slang, <laughs> and then having to explain it, what it means to, to another character. Like there's a bit in the first film where he's like, God, yeah, it's wrong. He's like, yeah, there's a bit in the first film where he's like, it's not this, but it's the equivalent of like, yeah, that's a nice bunce, bunce and burner, nice little learner. Like just whereas someone has to spend like an extra fifteen seconds or so, just like mm. explaining what he just said. Just say the thing. Just say the normal thing. Also, in most of the in in most of these sort of examples of that, it's just not. A, I've googled it. It's not an actual phrase. That's not Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> no one's saying these things. Oh, we're talking about. Uh, yeah, wasted time. There's the woman talks about shaving her pubes for five minutes at one point. It's, I mean, I, I at that point I was like, you're struggling to get to ninety minutes here, aren't we? This is frankly embarrassing. It's weird that it's only an hour and a half and it felt so long. When I, when I turned it on, yeah. when I turned it on, it was only an hour and a half. I was so relieved. <laughs> I was like, thank Christ, this is not going on for two hours. Thank you. Thank yeah, but then you. an hour in, I was looking at my watch again. How how long left? I feel like I've been watching this for a week. That's why you got to stand your ground, Rich. It's, that's the meaning of the title. It's like, come on, you can make it through. I didn't see the football bit coming, uh, as in that's what they were going to have to do to escape. Did I knew there not? was going to be a football match, like Mean Machines, the, the kind of thing. I just thought the, I didn't think they were actually getting released. I thought that is bonkers. <laughs> that is one of the. Can you imagine if like that's actually like how the uk kind of decided well, like the games kind of thing isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah hey i wouldn't put it past this government they'll probably watch this and think that's a good idea <laughs> yeah you want to stay in the country come on let's get you on the football pitch i can literally hear like you know suella whatever you know the absolutely horrible woman being like yeah to stay in the country you must stand your ground football <laughs> matches to decide who it's really just yeah Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Your team has finished bottom of their group. Off to Rwanda with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. We're. <laughs> oh, we're so broken. Our country's so broken. How? I've got to ask. How did you even come across Green Street Two? Did you watch the first one and thought, "I want more of that"? Oh, at the time, I was working in um, a little-known video retail shop called Blockbuster Video, and oh, it really yeah. did you kind of the chosen like... ones. Yeah. <laughs> that's my hero's journey um yeah so i basically like I, I think i was i really really like hated but enjoyed how much i hated the first film and um it was pretty low stakes the film came in i think i could just like you know you could you got free rentals so i think i was like i know i need to hate watch this i don't normally i'm not really 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even then, I'm certainly not now someone who would waste my time that way. But I, I wasn't even really back then. But I just felt like I, I, I owe it to myself to to see where this goes because I can't imagine why they've made a sequel to this. And sweet I mean, Jesus, it was bad. I couldn't believe it was two. It's made in 2009. Yeah, I thought it was more like 1999. Like it's <laughs> it's so badly. It's like a bad episode of a TV show. Yeah, it's like, like a it's pilot. Really poorly made. Never yeah, got, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. 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 In fact, I said I did message Dave when I was watching it last night. Going, when we were in uni, we made a documentary about football hooligans, and I was like, Do you, "You know, our crappy documentary made at uni. It looks better than this." Like, <laughs> There's one scene in that thing from uni when you just told me to swear as much as I can, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and literally that was this film. That <laughs> was pretty much this uh, film. Yeah, <laughs> but it didn't stop here. They've definitely they've done a Green Street free. Have you? Anyone oh, seen that? I haven't. No, I knew I knew it existed, but shall I look up the uh, shall I look up the synopsis? I don't even know what that's about. I've I've read all about it today. Let me uh, guess. Right, you? they uh... of course I have. <laughs> Let me guess. So, like, they decided to uh, is it like beheadings or something? If you lose a game of football or something like that, they've uh... <laughs> no. You'll never. You know, it's 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 this one's called Green Street Free. Never back down. That's what this, the third one's called. Sure. So stand your ground, never back down. Yeah, it sounds like a like a Spice Girls song already. It does, doesn't like. it? It's got nothing to do with the second one. Um, it's got no cast from the second or the first one. It's got uh, Scott Atkins from oh. recently John John Wick. John Wick. Oh, I love yeah. Scott. Lots of other, yeah, okay. Yeah, a lot of good, great fighting films, and it's about West Hammer in it again, and they obviously they fight the Millwall lot again. But he was once the leader of the Green Street Elite. But then he goes to live for a quiet life in Scotland. But his brother is also stays in the firm and gets killed. Then Scott goes pretty much undercover back to the Green Street Elite to find out who killed his brother. And it turns out, you never guess, it was a Millwall fan who is also <laughs> um, apparently the head of the police or something. Uh, so spoilers for everyone if you're watching. Green Street I mean, 3. it sounds better already. Well, he's got Scott in it, and I think he's a really good martial artist. Scott's and... phenomenal, but like in that situation, like where either you're not accommodating Scott's amazing ability to kind of like do his kind of martial arts stuff, because yeah. why would a bloke who spends most of his time in the pub, you know, as these kind of firms <laughs> do, why would they be good at like kung fu? Oh, they, they explain that he teaches it to kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I stand. <laughs> I stand my ground. I stand corrected. <sighs> so, worst bit of uh, Green Street Two. Anyone go? All of it. Like literally all of it. <laughs> it's got a football match in it. Yeah, the football match is terrible. It is terrible. I just can't believe that anyone who anyone involved with it has actually watched football. Ever, like, I, I, yeah. I th- maybe football was just really hard to do, like on screen, because like you never see a good iteration of it. Like, yeah, it's. Um, has there been a good football movie? I don't know. No, they tried really... harder with those goal films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. there's a trilogy, the a trilogy of them. <laughs> yeah. Ted Lasso's the best we've come to a decent football movie, and even that looks silly. Yes, it does. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love it, but the football bit of it does look silly no i think you're right i don't think there is i can't think of anything where it looks you can't capture it i guess um 
but yeah, I mean the, the football bit. There's the bit where the it, like his wife gets kidnapped. And oh, I forgot about the kidnapping. Yeah, th- th- it's a really weird bit where like the, the kidnapper's like gonna like is just trying to rape her essentially, and he's he's he says something about I always want to know if gingers are like are really dirty or something like that, and I was like, but you're ginger. <laughs> Like, what, he is. Like, oh. what? What are you talking about? Like, oh. <laughs> it's just so like some of the dialogue is just awful. Like just and none of it is. It's it's incredibly violent without at any point being in any way menacing. Mm. You know, it's it, there's an extreme violence whilst all the time you're watching it going. This is boring. <laughs> this is kind of this that feels like such low stakes. Like I don't know. It's it's weird. Is it because it's of the really whole? Weird, the, really weird. There was a big the what the football factory was really good, wasn't it? That's quite a good film on football yeah. hooliganism. And then there's another one called The Firm that's okay. And then Green Street did pretty well. There was sort of like a trend, wasn't there, for football hooliganism? It was a weird time. Cass was... is another one, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was sort of early nine late nineties early noughties wasn't there where it was almost kind of cool to for to, for like football hooliganism was kind of cool again briefly like you relive in the eighties kind of thing. But why is it always West Ham? Now um, what, what have West Ham done to? <laughs> well, I I just love the fact that like obviously the first one does not paint West Ham it. If you're just like a, a, a cinema goer looking for a new club to support, I don't think it's winning you over to West Ham. I love how after that film they were like, okay, but you promised to make us look good in this second film if we give you the rights <laughs> to the club. And then like the third film, I don't know what the conversations were for these things, but I don't know. I think I think there is general, genuinely like that there, there are like West Ham does have a history of this stuff. So there's an accuracy to it like uh, yeah it's a problem that well, they have yeah. especially with millwall yeah 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 i mean it's not plucked out of thin air but like um it's just the question is just like why would you how were they able to use like why did west ham like sign over the rights like uh you know why why aren't west ham like reduced to kind of being the equivalent of a richmond fc like it is in uh yeah. or whatever do you think they need to get rights though is that something that filmmakers need to worry about when making films of this kind of caliber i think you'd have to to use the badge and stuff wouldn't oh you? yeah like, yeah i, I don't, I don't think you'd have to to say west ham i think you could do that because there's a place rather than a club isn't it like um but i think the badge you'd have to you'd have to get permission i, I just feel like in the sort of like i don't know if, if they hadn't have struck some sort of deal presumably there would have been like a sort of like the filmmakers would have left themselves open for some sort of like lawsuit where it's like well, mm. you've like laundered our, you've like associated the club with hooliganism in a movie with an international title that's literally called Hooligans, and uh, you know <laughs> you've therefore like lost us X amount in potential earnings. Yeah. you could probably argue that it's it's realistic. I guess you could, you could, you know, there are West Ham firms. Realism, obviously, being were. a big part of the Green Street. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just thinking from a from a liable perspective. You could probably say. Well, it's factual. Yeah, you know, it's it's based on reality, I guess. Mm. Are they Chelsea in Football Factory? Are they West Ham as well? Or no, are they I think they're... Chelsea. I think aren't they? Uh, I can't Chelsea? remember. But in this film, the Chelsea fans are all, all neo-Nazi, yeah. bald-headed. I was going to say a lot of swast- swastikas on, on Chelsea the, on fans the Chelsea in this fans. movie. <laughs> yeah. Next question for you: What has been the sequel that 
has rebuilt your confidence in like a franchise. So the, maybe the first one, two weren't great, but then you watched one down the line and it was like, you're like, oh, that's much better than I thought it was going to be. God, that is a, that's a real question, actually. I mean, just because it's so fresh one. in my mind, like the only thing, well, I mean, Force Force Awakens did reinvigorate my love for a a, 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 you know, a series that I thought I had kind of mm. parked in terms of like, they've told the stories they can tell here and everything they seem to be doing now seems to be making that universe feel smaller rather than bigger. We all know where that ended up because they've already ranted about uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, I, uh, <laughs> interested as, as an aside, like, you know, that was an interesting period for the kind of like, you know, Jurassic World, Force Awakens. They're all kind of like, it was a particular kind of reboot formula that uh, was put in place with those two films that uh, got tired really quick, but um, pretty interesting. Um, in terms of like a, a movie where like, I don't think I loved the first one a you know an insane amount but then the second the sequel like in in a kind of like complete opposite to the usual trend for sort of like diminishing returns a sequel mm. that blew me away have you guys seen pearl not no, yet no i haven't no. really 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 good the first movie is like um x uh so these two movies by uh, filmmaker ty west he's a horror movie maker yeah first first one's like really serviceable it's fine it's like a good kind of like it, it, yeah it's, it's just like a fun sort of like horror movie that's like uh it's it's set in the 70s these kids go to this like farm to shoot a porno and it's about the making of an like a kind of exploitation flick and then it's uh it but it's also shot like an exploitation flick and it's okay. um it's fine it's good it's like a good watch but like i wasn't really craving a sequel but then pearl this movie that i think they must have shot back to back to come out so quickly together Pearl is like a, like one of the best horrors of the last decade in my mind. It's uh yeah Mia Goth who's having a really great moment at the minute. Yeah she, uh, yeah she's it's her younger it's her character from uh she plays like an old woman in the she plays two roles in in X but she plays like an older woman in um one of the roles is an older woman in in X and Pearl is the story of the old woman as a young woman kind of aspiring to be a Hollywood starlet and uh, yeah it's Again, like X was shot, it was set in the 70s, so it was shot like a 70s horror. Uh, Pearl is set in a kind of like post-war sort of 1940s era. So it's shot like Wizard of Oz. It's shot oh, wow. like a 1940s okay. movie uh, and it's it's beautiful. It's so weird. It's so just like technicolor. It's just like a really, really, really unique horror movie. So uh, yeah, I guess that's what's coming to mind for that question. But um it's a weird time to talk about that because today they announced the the third one maxine uh, maxine yeah, yeah. I mean, i'm looking forward to that yeah like i could say at the beginning at x i wouldn't have necessarily thought i needed a franchise out of this thing but um yeah i mean pearl so 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 good yeah because the only reason we haven't gone near pearl one one reason we're both rubbish with horror films. Yeah, yeah, we're both we're both we're, we're big massive ones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, it's a prequel. I don't have to worry about it. But now they've made it into this trilogy. I'm like, we're gonna have to watch these films now, Rich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs> I hear Pearl's really entertaining and quite fun in a way. Yeah, it's, that up. it's really really fun and just really, it's the way it incorporates like sound and music, like uh it's just it like i don't, I don't want to give too much away but there's there's like a moment early on you know how sometimes there's just movies that like you'll have like a, a moment in like 
the first kind of 15 20 minutes and you're just like okay i'm in like that's yeah, just yeah. like there's like a yeah. sort of scene in which um mia goth's character kind of like serenades this um scarecrow in in the sort of field that she's uh you know the farm that she's she's kind of growing up on and what happens next is just so interesting and so like unsettling <laughs> it's uh yeah it kind of goes from there it's really really good fun really good yeah okay. she's uh she's on a bit of a hot streak at the moment isn't she mia goth and she's such a interesting uh actress yeah the stuff yeah. she puts out and the things and everyone sometimes thinks her accent's not real but is she british isn't she she's british but she speaks in a really interesting accent that's yeah. like quite high quite like delicate and quite like well spoken but in I don't, I don't know how you describe it but and it's she, really interesting she, she can flip from being quite normal to crazy in a real split second which is a talent for any actress i think yeah yeah i think that's a real talent i i was able to do that coming out of rise of skywalker as well i found out <laughs> <laughs> so you really enjoyed force awakens you quite yeah. enjoyed last jedi and then you hated rise yeah. of skywalker how do you feel now about what they're doing with their movies and the TV series just out of interest? Well, uh, I, I really like Dandor. So it's it's possible for me to kind of like remain plugged into the Star Wars universe, if you like. Mm. Where I sort of like worry about it going and I feel like it kind of potentially sometimes verges on is like, I don't like the type of sequel making now where it's almost like, it's it's hurrying to get to the next sequel and and kind of the thing it, it they're built in a way where you're not really supposed to appraise what you just watched you're supposed to kind of like you're watching them as a piece in the kind of puzzle towards the next thing and the next thing yeah, and the next yeah. thing and i just i do find it like yeah just like too it's just too capitalistic it's too nakedly mm. i know like let's face it, like all movie making is a business it's all about making money but yeah. like there needs to be some marriage between like there this being like a story that we want to tell in, instead of like like the, the kind of primary motivating factor being like well we just want to set up our extra sequels extra spin-offs extra kind of like we just want to expand the sort of litany of projects that you're going to have to watch all that stuff then becomes kind of like homework and um yeah sort of there's there's some there's some Star Wars projects where it, for me it's just like it's 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 like homework a little bit and maybe if I did the homework and I sort of like stopped the episode every five minutes to, or what stopped the movie every five minutes to look up okay who's that supposed to be yeah, like yeah. it'd be great but it's yeah, it's servicing yeah. kind of like a a mega fan that and it's kind of the the kind of reward of watching it is not like and this isn't uh, just 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 about Star Wars anymore this is across the field certainly it's like an effect of, of the, the storytelling brought in by, by Marvel. The kind of thrill of it seemingly is like one of recognition. You know who that is and it's kind of patting you mm. on the back for, for getting the reference or getting the allusion to that character or this event in the timeline. And to me, that's, I don't know, I'm quite traditional. I just want to go through, I want to feel something with a character and yeah. I don't know. So um, You're right. There is a lot of that at the moment, isn't there? There's a lot of kind of like just dropping people in. So someone who's a massive fan can go, oh, that guy from that obscure comic book that I read 10 years ago. You know, that kind of... That's a yeah, character from Rebels. I was like, I haven't watched all that. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clone Wars, I'm afraid. I... Yeah. It's oh, not man. just Star Wars or and Marvel that do that, though. Like, there's there was, we talked about 
Space Jam Legacy the other day, Dave, didn't oh. we? And that's that's full of it. Yeah. It's full of like even so much so there's like it's a kids movie and there's like like um people from a clockwork orange in it. And you're like, who is this for? Like it's like this is just for people to go, Oh, I recognise that person. Like, you know, like, why? It's like, too much. Like, too much. It, but you're right, it's just like Warner Brothers going, look at all the intellectual property we own. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What's your dream sequel? So my dream sequel, I kind of uh, struggled with this when you asked because um, I just like, with very rare, with very rare exceptions, for the most part, like a story is only ever diminished by it being extended and mm. like, I, I I don't know, you guys would be a better kind of, uh, you know, arbitrator of this, you know, I, I'd be really interested in like the number of sequels that are like considered good versus bad because the, the percentage. Oh, there are, there are, yeah, it's probably about 10% good to good to bad ratio, I'd say. So 10% good and 90% maybe not so good. Yeah. So I kind of felt like, oh God, well, which, which movie have I loved that didn't get expanded upon? that i would you know like i would risk <laughs> giving a sequel to and then sort of like continuing <laughs> you know and i don't want to diminish like a story i loved so um yeah kind of i ended up going with uh edge of tomorrow because i love 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 that movie um and i think it kind of did not perform brilliantly at the box office so it kind of got yeah i mean it I was working again at Blockbuster when that movie came out and then came out on DVD and it was it performed so badly at the uh, box office that they were trying to give it a new they were kind of sort of surreptitiously trying to give it a new title I remember when it came in it was live die repeat in big words on yeah, the cover yeah and then that's the that's the name of the comic it's based on or the graphic novel so oh. that was the original name is live die repeat so what's cuz I remember there was something it was based on maybe this is uh, like Maybe this was the sort of, I think, it was, I think it was a Japanese book or something originally. Like there, there was some sort of product originally that was called All You Need Is Kill or something like that. And oh, I, I just yeah. remember thinking that's such an intriguing title. Like I would like, hand over my money to see anything with that name on. Edge of Tomorrow is pretty bland as titles go. And you can sort of see the sort of studio think of like, well, we need something that sounds like a title. But Edge of Tomorrow could literally apply to anything and it's barely, it's kind of applicable to this in terms of like it being a time loop movie, you're constantly on the edge of tomorrow, but like it just sounds like generic movie title generator sort of fodder. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I really like this movie and I picked it because like I feel like in terms of like the world building of that story, there's more to explore. I picked it in terms of like the kind of concept of like you know the, the repeating nature like that movie itself mm. was kind of like quite self-aware in terms of it talking about like or, or seeming to talk about like video games and sort of like time loop movies themselves mm. and um i just think there's like concept conceptually there's interesting stuff to be done in that field still so uh yeah i, I don't think tom cruise would come back but um do you not think i, I think i think this is still bubbling do you think so? I, I mean, I so think game. so. I think they're still trying to find a way of cracking this. Uh, oh, really? Chris, Chris okay. McQuarrie has once in a while just dropped hints that, that this might happen. We had Chris Hewitt on this podcast from mm. Empire, and he briefly mentioned this when he talked about dream sequels. And he said Chris McQuarrie once said to him, yes, we think we might have cracked the angle. 
or something along those lines. That's so exciting. I would never, I never rule this one out. Um, I think it's <laughs> definitely got a cult following now. It's definitely, uh, once you watch it, you realise how brilliant it is and you're like, why did I not go and see that on the cinema kind of film? That must yeah. have been great on the big screen. Yeah, <laughs> you can sort of tell because it's kind of, since release, it's made a lot of money. Like, so it's it was, I think it's, it's opening weekend, it made like $28 million, which is not great for a $178 million budget. Mm, big budget. Um, but it's made $370 million worldwide. So it has kind of made its made its money back essentially, um, but I think a lot of that has been like you say, like rewatches, like people coming to it late and watching it on DVD rather than. I think they got the marketing wrong for it when they came out. Like you said, I think so, Edge of yeah. Tomorrow is such a nothing name, and you are correct. The the original name for it is All You Need Is Kill. Um, I can see kind of why they think of that because when I think Edge of Tomorrow, I think Edge of Darkness. I think the you know the BBC series. I'm hearing the Lady Gaga song. Yeah, I'm on the edge of glory. You don't, you don't think of this film, do you? It, yeah. I always thought it was called Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, really? I didn't realise it was called Edge of Tomorrow. And so it's come up, yeah, like Dave said, it's come up before. And I think I was like, I don't know what that film is. What's that film? And it was like, oh, no, I have seen it. Live, Die, Repeat, is it? Is it? It's certainly more macho title. Is it a better title, do you reckon? I don't know. It, it describes what more, happens in the film a bit better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. It's called it Live, Die, Repeat. I don't know. I don't know if it's better, but it's certainly it's stuck in my head. I thought that was what the title of the movie was. So, an Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, it does kind of feel a bit like an AI wrote it. You know, that's yeah, kind of, yeah. I would. Yeah, would yeah. you have Tom Cruise back in the sequel? Have you ever thought about where would they take the story? I, you know, to me, like Emily Blunt, it seems to be like the character who. Well, I think Cruise, because obviously, like. So, Cruz had a real sci-fi, like little little spell there where he did. Yeah, he was in movies like Oblivion. Oblivion was it? He, yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, and he seemed to be sort of like exploring this genre and this type of movie a fair bit. And um, I think kind of like he's since. I mean, he's all he's been doing the Mission Impossible movies for forever. But like, I think like the groundswell of love around those films has kind of um, has really grown in the time since. Um, since edge of tomorrow and i feel like putting him in a world where it's like by definition it's going to involve quite a lot of um sci-fi uh sorry a lot of cgi like because because mm. you're creating these worlds around them. what people go to now for for tom cruise between the mission movies and top gun maverick is like yeah. we want to see part of like you know he's a great actor but you also kind of want you know he's really doing the stunts and all that kind of thing and i think mm. like people wouldn't necessarily get what they want from coming to an edge of tomorrow sequel from Tom Cruise at this point. I mean, I'd love to see it. And if Chris McQuarrie's making it, then, you know, obviously those two like work together on everything. So yeah, I'd love to see it, but I feel like, um, yeah, Emily Blunt is so cool. She's just such an absolute hero. And, uh, yeah, I sort of feel like, um, yeah, like they're, that would be the kind of route that I would expect them to go down, sort of building out that character more and sort of like what happens when, I don't know, like obviously it's been a while since I watched the movie, so I don't know exactly what my kind of like proposed narrative would be for it. But like, uh, you know, typically the way you kind of do alien invasion sequels is the first invasion failed, they're coming back and they're coming back with reinforcements. That that's tends to be the uh, the way they tend to do these things. And um, 
yeah it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how they would approach it and i'd be really curious to know what uh macquarie's angle is yeah. but um yeah i, I, mean, don't, I don't know this might not mean anything but uh doug lyman's imdb listing has live die repeat repeat as an in, as an in <laughs> development project so i bet that's been there for know. a while yeah yeah i imagine it probably has because he's doing the Roadhouse movie, isn't he? Oh, Doug yeah. Lyman. Mm. Yeah. They'd have to do that loop thing again. But the loop, the premise of that, the loop, day loop, was a, a happy accident in in the plot. So it'd be weird if it kind of happens to them again. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. Do you have an idea of what you're what you'd want a sequel to do? Do you have you got a? Yeah. Just that the aliens so come back and Emily <laughs> Blunt cuts them down again. It's a it's a bit out there. So basically, after the events of the first film. Um, a lot of the aliens died, but a lot of them were captured as well. And they've been put in this prison, but the prison's only bloody overpopulated. But the, the authorities... <laughs> <laughs> Alien football match. I was like, Winners yes. go free. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Sold. <laughs> Macquarie's like, God damn it. How did he guess? How did he know? Yeah. By God, you've done it Brilliant. again. Ron Howard. <laughs> For a minute, that started off really strong, though, Al. <laughs> you know, there are honestly worst ideas, including Green Street too. Those were Al Horner's unequal sequels. Last week, I said it was the perfect hat trick, right? <laughs> and this week, I think we've had another perfect hat trick. Controversial really? best sequel. Oh, it's a right. Absolute toilet. <laughs> Worst sequel. <laughs> and an incredible choice for dream sequel. I mean, it's just it's just getting better and better. I came out of that episode just bemused a little bit because Al is so convincing. Yeah. He put such a good argument in for, for Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Reloaded as best sequel. <laughs> I still don't agree with him. I'm sorry. I know, I know they're his. I don't reasons. know. I've had time away from him, but in the episode, <laughs> I was with him, and everyone knows I hate that movie. True, true. Yeah, you've you've have strong strong feelings, but yes. uh, you know what movie it is okay to hate? Green Street Two. What a puddle of piss! Whoa, that, that was. I mean, one, I never knew it existed, and two, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's genuinely. It's not even made for TV like terrible it's it's worse than that it's not even bargain bin in tesco's 99p dvd bad it's no nope. it's like gcse student film level bad it's, yeah. it's and it's awful. made for a very specific audience mm. uh, i would say those audience are idiots <laughs> yeah you're probably right <laughs> <laughs> if you can sit down and think oh i really like green street too <laughs> Or let's go and have a good old punch up now. Let's get down to the pub and have a good old punch up. Let's go with some football. Let's go and get the firm together and smash some glasses over some other football fans' heads. Let's have a good time. I would say, if you love Green Street too, then, I mean, don't let us know. Just go and get some help. Right? Yeah. If you like Green Street 2, you probably like Green Street 3, so, oh, which we haven't watched yet. No, no, I don't want to. Just wait until someone picks that, Rich. And then... Uh, Just wait. Edge of Tomorrow. Live, Die, Repeat, whatever it's called. A great choice. It is a good choice. I would like a sequel for that. You know, when, I, when I've... I've watched it a few times, so I really like it. And every time I watch it, I Me think... Too. Oh, it's just... It, this needs a franchise. It needs yeah. a franchise. We need... It needs to be at least a... 
at least a trilogy. At least I think there's a trilogy in there somewhere. It would work as really nicely as a trilogy as well. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, it may happen. I, that is the one on my list that I think might happen more than most others we've talked about. Okay. I think Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie mm. and Doug Lyman, I think they've still got some ideas and that might happen. But man, that was a great episode. You know, just listening to Al speak, because I'm such a big fan of Script Apart podcast that I think everyone should go. And if you're interested in writing, his guests are phenomenal. Like, Oh, God. He's got, like, yeah, incredible guests. Incredible. Damon Chazelle has been on there. Mike Flanagan, David Chase from Sopranos, David Copey. We wrote Jurassic Park. You know, Paul Feig's been on there. I mean, the names go on and on. And yeah. He's got, Al's got such a calming voice, mm. I find. It's such a good podcast. He could talk me into being in a cult kind of thing. That's that's Al's voice. Yeah. Drink the Kool-Aid. Okay. There you go. There you go. Go check it out. And he's a great writer. He's written for lots of people. Guardian, Empire, lots and lots of people. He's brilliant. Really enjoyed spending our time with Al. And thank you, Al, for giving us your time. We know you're a very busy man. So I really appreciate that. Squeezing us in. If you really liked listening to this episode with Al and you want a bit more, then get yourself over to uh, to another slice.com forward slash unequal sequel where for just 2 99 a month you can have a sequel to all of our interview episodes including this one and the sequels are great i'm not gonna lie we've really stepped up the game this season with the sequels they're uh they're really very good uh but also it's not just sequels to these episodes you get over there you also get our disenfranchised series and our box set mentality series so you're basically getting three extra podcasts I mean, it's pretty good value, really, for two ninety nine a month. Bargain. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, if uh, if that's not your thing, just get along and hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, hit the auto download button on your pod player of choice. You know, give us a little review. Five stars would be lovely. We'd really enjoy that. And if you want to go a step further, get yourself on social media and tell people what that we're the best podcast around. You know, get everyone to listen. We are at Unequal Sequel on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with us, tell us what you thought of Al's picks. Tell us if you like Green Street too, and uh, we can get you some medical attention. Um, <laughs> give drop us an email, unequalsequel at hotmail dot com. Lovely. I uh, agree. If you like Green Street 2, we will find professional help for you. Uh, there's no shame in that. Well, there is a bit of shame, actually. <laughs> Lots of shame. Um, good job, Rich. Well done as ever. Smashed it. Thanks, you know, mate. You've got a real talent, and I'm really I'm really glad we're putting it to use now. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the past episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you're new, hopefully listen. Go back to the back catalogue. We've got over 100 now episodes there's a lot of big yeah so enjoy all them uh i've got nothing else to say rich so i think i'm just gonna say bye so i'm gonna say bye so bye and then i'm gonna let him say bye bye and then i'm gonna say see you next week the sequel to this week's episode and just you know stay healthy stay Mm. happy see you next one bye i really hope we haven't upset loads of green street 2 fans uh, if they are, they're gonna they're gonna like bottle us or yeah. I wonder if they're West Ham fans Maybe. or if they're Millwall fans. I don't know, but uh, yeah, sorry if you are a Green Street Two fan. But also, I'm six foot six and three foot wide, so bring it on. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I'm six foot seven. <laughs> Dave, Dave, aren't you five foot five? I'm five foot five and a half. Oh, Fuck okay. you. All right. <laughs>